Good afternoon, Germantown. How are you today? I am Stephanie Heck, co-hosting The Everyday Feminist with my gal pal over here, Hi. Lois Volta. I'm Lois. And we are here today to talk to you about something that I think is kind of potentially revolutionary. Yeah, I would say so. I think so. Mm-hmm. It's going to sound pretty obvious, but I don't know if we've really looked at it this way before, maybe even as a society, which is relationships. Well, uh, something that I've been really enjoying that I've heard you said quite say quite a bit lately, Stephanie, is that healthy relationships are a revolutionary act. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been thinking about that ever since our last episode um, when we were talking about the work of feminist psychologist Carol Gilgan, who is essentially the mother of feminism in psychology, which is my field. And, you know, we were talking about her last week um, and summarizing some of her work. She wrote a book called How Patriarchy Persists. And in this book, like we were talking about in that episode, she describes essentially the ways in which patriarchy thrives on dysfunctional relationships. I mean, that's that's pretty much the crux of it. Mm-hmm. She talks about how it works to detach us from aspects of ourselves, really important aspects and parts of ourselves, and how that in turn detaches us from each other and creates an environment where relationships break and can't be repaired. Like you get these ruptures that don't get fixed. So, so when when you say that, how how does this make the bigger picture more complicated? What do you mean? Like, if the patriarchy has set it up that relationships look like that, feel like that, what are the effects? Like, what are the bigger ripples that oh, happen? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, so one, um, you end up with hierarchies because if people kind of can't relate to each other, then everyone, it's much easier to dehumanize someone, right? So man could be above woman, um, white man could be above black man, white woman above black woman. It's just like there's this sense of like things getting kind of fractured and split apart. So instead of us coming together as humans and recognizing the humanity in each other, we kind of go into this hierarchical system, which I think is part of that, right? When you're like, when like she describes men as being kind of like, socialized to be more separate from their emotional selves, which means that they're not going to necessarily be able to connect on an emotional level that way, which makes it easier than to put yourself above someone Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Right. And if women, she says are socialized as girls to separate from their agency, to not have a voice at all, it's hard to ask for what you want. Right. And so all of these things kind of interplay. So I think that it, you know, on the one hand, there's the, the first thing maybe is um, this kind of hierarchy that develops. And then my other thought is that loneliness, right? Loneliness. Like we get really like we're split apart from each other. We get more lonely and maybe we don't even recognize it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that loneliness is at an all time high right now. It's just been getting like more and more prevalent as time goes on. Right. I read a quote by um, one of one psychologist who I really like, Bruce Perry. He's an infant mental health psychologist. And there was a quote in one of his books that this is way back when Facebook first started. So he said, you might have 100 friends on Facebook, but no one to have dinner with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or just call or. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. people probably have thousands of friends on Facebook and still no one yeah. to have dinner. with. Yeah. So I don't know. I just think that like there, there's a a lot of fracturing that happens, you know? Mm -hmm. So it occurred to me that we should talk about healthy relationships and 
how to how to build them like what are elements of healthy relationships because if it's an act of defiance to have a healthy relationship and it's going to help break down the systems that keep us in place maybe we want that and it would feel really good right break down the systems that are in place to rebuild or let things break and start new and yeah. build with a fresh fresh slate right right Mm -hmm. And it seemed like that was an appropriate topic for the everyday feminist because mm -hmm. it's like this show focuses on sort of how to bring it all home. Like how do these, how does the patriarchy play out at home and how can we use things within our home mm -hmm. to restructure the system? Well, one thing that we were talking about that we wanted to bring to the table today is within the home or within relationships a great foundation just to build anything really is trust. Trust. You got to trust something's going to work. You got to trust uh, the people that you surround yourself with, but especially in intimate relationships and family relationships, trust is so important. Right. Right. And in preparation for this show, I was reading some of like the most recent, um, data out of the Pew Research Institute from, I think it was from like 2018 or 2019, so it's pretty recent, on the decline in trust um, among Americans. And essentially, what if you boil it all down, what the data show are that 71% of Americans think that trust has declined in the last 20 years. So when we like look at ourselves and reflect on ourselves, 71% are really feeling like a change in trust of all kinds of things, you know, in your intimate relationships of the government, of structures around you that you will be told the truth by the media, like all of these things, right? And then, and then half of the people, half of those 71%, um, essentially blame unreliability. <laughs> like they believe that people have become less reliable, right? So you're not keeping, people don't keep their word. You know, maybe you don't, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Maybe there are people out there trying to con you or whatever, like that, that this is kind of part of our culture and certainly all of our relationships at home. And by at home, I mean, you know, within our ecosystem, each of our own personal ecosystems mm -hmm. of like, you know, family, friends, mm -hmm. everything, community, community. Yeah. Um, it, it seems like, you know, building that trust back is going to be important. Yeah. And it kind of seems really, I mean, even thinking about the amount of disinformation there is out there, it's hard to know what to trust and who to trust and really how to trust someone after the trust has been broken. Right, right. And I, there was one, you know, I was looking online, so this is just a mom blog quote that this mom blogger mm -hmm. wrote. She says, you cannot love without trusting. Like, without trust, there is no love. Yeah. And we need love. <laughs> I, I saw that, and I disagree. Really? I feel like you can love and not trust someone. Like, I can love someone and not trust them. And I think that's from being in a relationship with someone who I couldn't trust. But I knew that I loved them. I wanted the best for them. I wanted them to get better. They were you know, struggling with an addiction and I just couldn't trust them right at all. Right. But I loved them. I saw that quote and I thought to myself, I don't know if I, if I 
believe that you can't have love for someone else without trust, but to have a healthy loving relationship that's built on mutual respect. Now that is not able to happen without trust. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with that. I think that is a good distinction. You know, maybe I was kind of combining the two, Mm -hmm. but I think you're right. You know, certainly when you bring up something like an addiction, Mm -hmm. that is something that's going to compromise trust, but not necessarily love. Yeah. Yeah. It's another disease in the relationship. Right. And in that case, it made our relationship so sick that we couldn't be in a relationship because the trust had broken down so much that by me loving this person and wanting to trust this person, it ultimately was, you know, hurtful and painful in the end. But it doesn't mean that the love isn't there. Right. Well, where do you think we should start this conversation? Well, I I think that we should just start with a definition of what trust is and what honesty is, just Hmm. so we know. So, like, we can just come back to, I mean, we all have heard these words, like, a hundred times, you know, a day or whatever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. For instance, I trust that this chair is not going to break mm-hmm. underneath my butt. Mm-hmm. But the reliability, that to me is, is big. Being able to rely on somebody. Right, which is the one quality that people, you know, the 50% mm-hmm. of the 71% who said trust was declining. Yeah. They were attributing it to that quality. Yeah. Lack of reliability. Do you think it's because we live in a time where it's so easy just to get out of plans or to change plans or to text or not have that? Uh, It's easier to be unreliable when you don't need to call someone and say, I can't be there. There's a lot of ways that it's easier to get out of plans. Yeah. And maybe a million more excuses you can make. But you're right. I mean, maybe you're talking about, is it easier if you don't have to hear the other person's voice sound disappointed or see them or face to face. Right. So if you can kind of just communicate in this very, on this like neutral platform, that's sort of emotionless really. Cause you said that statistic was the last 20 years, last 30 years. There's been a decline. Yes. Mm -hmm. It just makes me wonder if there, if there is a breakdown of reliability or, you know, if that, if that, weakens our bonds yeah it feels like another pandemic kind of right like the diminishing trust and maybe this piece diminishing reliability mm-hmm. right that it's like it it's probably not just that something that's happening among us within our relationships but also a much more global thing mm-hmm. right if you can't you know maybe you used to rely on the news to tell you the truth and now that feels like something you can't rely on anymore yeah Right. Or you used to rely on just basic safety Mm -hmm. and that doesn't feel like something you can rely on anymore. You could rely on predictable weather patterns. That's not something you can rely on anymore. So it's sort of everywhere. Yeah. The definition of honesty is uh, free of deceit and untruthfulness, sincerity and um, an honest person tells the truth. Honesty, that that's a big one, too, because it seems like. We're also living in a time where it's really easy to make up excuses. I guess it's always been easy to make up excuses, but just with that separation, with the internet, with, and it's so easy to find people in lies and, you know, it's, um, 
I don't know. It's, it's harder to trust people or really find someone that you believe is honest. Right. Right. And it all, it really does. You know, I'm just thinking about even like the excuses people give you if they have to cancel plans. Like, I can't tell you how many times someone like a, a mom date would get canceled mm -hmm. because someone's kid supposedly got sick. Mm. I mean, sure, that can happen. Of course it can mm. happen. But it would happen at a very high rate with kind of everybody <laughs> whenever they had yeah. to show up for something. Yeah. And I get it. I would, can get needing to cancel plans because you've got so many mountains of laundry and like yeah. all of the things that are kind of weighing you down in reality. Yeah. So you make a plan because you want to do the thing at the time you make the plan. But then when it comes up against it, you know, maybe that feels like too much effort. Yeah. But then we rely on these then we have these kind of excuses slash white lies slash figs yeah. and like it starts to kind of grow, right? Yeah. Or we all become accustomed to it. Yeah. I don't know that her kid, you know, it's like, do I believe your kid is really sick? Hmm, maybe not. Yeah. Maybe there's, they are. There's a doubt. There, there can be doubt. And it's almost like we assume that people will doubt us too. I mean, you have to, if you're going to doubt other people, you have to assume that people are going to doubt you too. Mm-hmm. Well, that, I mean, it's, that's a good point. And I hadn't quite thought of that part, right? That then it's just like in, again, it's in the air between people, whether it's present or not, it's present, right? I could be being fully honest mm -hmm. and I could be a very trustworthy person, but you would have no way of knowing that. And then anything I say could be called to question because that's just sort of the atmosphere. Right. There's, there's a few people in my life that I feel like, I don't know what the energy is between us, but we just have the hardest time scheduling, you know, and it's like for fun stuff or like going on hikes or grabbing coffee or something like that. Mm -hmm. But there's just like, it's always kind of like this mismatch trying to schedule. And I think that we've gotten to a point where we've just kind of accepted that that's just part of what scheduling is. And it doesn't turn into, it's almost like maybe if she doesn't feel like it, that's fine. Or, you know, I actually do feel really tired. I don't think that it's going to be. It's like the more we kind of like go through this energy, the more we can be honest. Right. Just being like, I'm tired. I think I just need to st stay home, you know. But it's like taking that energy um, away from the mistrust and just being more honest, just knowing that that's like part of the nature of us scheduling with each other. Right, right. So it's almost like that's a thing that could get restored right there. If people could become more aware of the small ways in which they're being dishonest and maybe we can talk about you know like privacy versus secrecy mm -hmm. in this conversation a little bit too but if if we're if we notice when we're being dishonest like do you really need to say that your kid is sick if your kid isn't sick could you say mm -hmm. to your friend i'm not feeling it tonight and and know that that's an acceptable yeah. reason yeah yeah well, I mean, there's there's reasons why people might lie, right? There's like some people might feel ashamed that they made plans and then they're letting another person down. Mm -hmm. But then you have to trust that the other person can handle it, right? Right. I mean, it, it's like if you tell me, like Lois, if we make a plan to like hang out and rather than tell me that you aren't feeling it because you're really exhausted, you had a long day, you know, there's a lot of demands at home. You need to walk the dog and all this other stuff is mm -hmm. going. Rather than say all that, you just say, oh, my kid got sick, right? That it sort of like brings the distrust into the relationship right. where it doesn't right. belong. 
And it also doesn't trust the other person. Like you wouldn't be trusting me to be able to tolerate the truth, which is like, you can't do it tonight. There's many reasons. And you know what? Maybe I will feel disappointed and I will recover from that. <laughs> right. The relationship can survive yeah. a little disappointment. Do you think that people are afraid of just disappointing other people? I mean, no, actually, nobody wants to disappoint somebody else. I mean, people don't want to let other people down. So I would say generally, at generally, least I hope. Yeah. 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 Right. But it's like there is something about like trusting that the other person can handle it or that the relationship will survive it. Right. It's like making an excuse that I don't believe is much more likely to undermine the relationship than telling me that you're really just tired, mm -hmm. you know, or like what did one friend of mine say to me? One friend who was being honest was like, I can't go out. I already took off my bra. Forget it. It's yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing the jammy thing now and yeah. that's it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Which is, you know, Carol Gilligan was talking about, you know, one of the issues with relationships is this feeling that they can't be repaired. Like when there's a rupture, it can't come back together. And we do need to trust that relationships can come back together, even sometimes after really big problems. I mean, sometimes they won't, depending on the relationship. But some, you know, there are ways that relationships can kind of withstand a lot if you get it back together in the, the end. There were three, I w when I was doing some prep work for our talk today, I was noticing that there was, some people were saying that there's three main pillars of trust. One being empathy and being able to give people the benefit of the doubt, right? That maybe their kid is sick, you know, like, can I put myself in that person's shoes? Can I give them the benefit of the doubt instead yeah. of assuming that they might be lying or being dishonest? Yeah. Uh, the second is just logic. Does the story check out? How are they communicating their story to me? And does it sound, does it sound like believable? Right. Plausible. Yeah. What's the quality of the logic mm -hmm. here? And then the last pillar is authenticity. Does it, do I feel like this person is really being themselves around me? Does it, am I trusting my intuition here? Is it making, is it all, are all the things kind of lining up in a way that I know I'm feeling empathy and trying to understand and being there for somebody else? Does everything kind of check out, seem okay, but then also like feel right? Mm hmm And I think. Like in your gut. In your gut. Yeah. Like, and I think a lot of the times for me, I can tell when someone's lying. I can tell when someone's lying to me. And then it's a matter of choosing how am I going to respond to it. Yeah. Do I get to the bottom of it or just go, okay. Right. Mm -hmm. It's that sixth sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe people vary in terms of their level of sensitivity. But I know I certainly have it. Although sometimes I think of it as an occupational hazard. Right. As a psychologist, I get really you yeah. kind of develop an ability to read the air, even without trying. It just sort of starts to happen over time. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that that's an unsettling reality when it's sort of like you're here, you're in the midst of hearing a lie and you know it's a lie. And then it, there is a question of like, what do you do? Yeah. I mean, I, I remember getting in uh, an argument with a person and they were lying to me about smoking, right? And that they, 
the last time they had a cigarette was this time. And then, but then they really had it this time. And then they've, you know, I found this, the cigarettes this time. And it's just like nothing was adding up. And it's like, this is your own life and your own body and your own choice. If you want to do that, fine. You don't need to lie to me about it <laughs> <Right>. though. <laughs> just like, if that's what, if that's, if that's your, what you're working through, you're trying to quit, you're trying to do your thing. Like, how can I support you here? I don't want to shame you or make you feel bad. I want to like support you. You lying to me makes the whole entire thing just feel really bad. Yeah. It's like, it's like, what are you trying to prove that you're better than what you actually, it's almost like they wanted to be this version of themselves that they wanted to portray to me, but right. they weren't able to get there. And that made them feel really bad and they wanted to shield me from that version of themselves which is okay I, I can see that I can get that but now it's not about what you are hiding from me or that version like I can see that now the issue is we have distrust now mm -hmm. now I am seeing the story you're telling me and I feel like our relationship isn't what I thought it was because you're lying to me well, this is interesting what you're saying because it's almost like you're speaking to the intersection of lying and denial. Oh, right? Yeah. So it's like if that person is in denial that they still smoke, they really wish they were the person who could have given up smoking, especially right. around maybe you and you don't smoke and they admire that. So they want to portray themselves a certain way. Is it a deliberate, manipulative lie? Or is there something happening here that this person is in denial about aspects of themselves that they can't even come to know are true, right? And so it gets to be really tricky business in that, right? Like, so confronting a lie in someone sometimes also makes that person confront the thing that they're trying to act like isn't there, right? I'm in denial that I'm addicted mm -hmm. to cigarettes. I'm totally in denial about it. And you're like, huh, yeah, you know. Yeah, and then what happens is the version of trust changes. I can trust that when you are quitting, you treat me this way. That when you are lying, you treat me this way. The, what I trust is now different, but it's not your integrity. Mm -hmm. It's not what you're telling me. I can't trust what you're telling me, but I can trust my experiences. Right, so it, do you mean like, if, if you were to confront someone's denial, that's what would happen or? Well, I, I guess I'm just speaking from my experience that like my, what trust became was not a strengthening of the relationship. Oh yeah. It was trusting my experiences and they weren't, uh, they weren't adding up in the favor of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I'm kind of stuck on my little denial kick. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going. <laughs> No, I love it. I'm like yeah. not being in a resonant space at all. I'm like still just in my own head. <laughs> but but I'm not in denial about it, yeah, right? Yeah. I think that there's something about if if you do confront someone on a lie and it starts to look more like denial, mm -hmm. there's something about that that at least for me my empathy kicks in. Right? That it's like, "Oh, this isn't about you trying to like purposefully deceive me. This is about you wishing you were different or something, right? Yeah. It's got a different flavor yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. So those, I don't know, those events, I think, make me feel more trusting. But the other thing I was thinking of is well, like... Well, it sounds more empathetic. It sounds like if you, if you can clearly see 
that somebody else is in denial and that they're struggling with something. Right. Then right. it's easier to, to be like, okay, this person is obviously struggling. I'm struggling with dealing with them, but I am in a position where I'm not in the same struggle as them. So how can I be empathetic here? And how can I be loving in this situation? And that's when you can control how you respond to the lie right. or the denial. Right. But right. it's hard because it feels personal. But in this situation, when someone is clearly in denial, it's actually not personal. But when someone's lying to you, it feels so personal. Oh, yeah. Right. I was thinking, too, like on the flip side... In terms of like, you know, the theme of like, how do you build a healthy relationship? This like lying denial piece makes me want to encourage people to know themselves, right? The more work that you put into knowing yourself, the less denial you're in, the more open and honest you can be, right? I mean, it's why, I guess it's why I'm a psychologist. It's why I believe in psychotherapy. It's, it's a process of getting incrementally more honest with yourself, Mm -hmm. as my supervisor, Nancy McWilliams, mm -hmm. would say. That's what she says about therapy. And I think it's really true. And there's something about when you're really honest with yourself about who you are, where you come from, how you operate, what feelings you have, what makes you comfortable, what makes you uncomfortable, where you tend to stretch the truth. You can catch yourself. Or when someone calls you out on it, you don't have to get defensive. You might laugh and be like, oh, my God, I'm doing that thing mm -hmm. again. Right. Oh, you're right. I do tend to do those things under those circumstances. Yeah. And it makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. Bring some levity. Right. Right. And some, I don't know, some willingness to be open mm -hmm. or to take feedback. Anyway, did you have more stuff on your list over there? <laughs> um, well, one thing that I wanted to talk about is how having trust, trusting relationships within the home creates safe environments. Uh-huh. I don't think we give that enough weight. Now, some relationships, there's not, they're just trusting, safe, honest relationships, and you don't see someone feeling scared to ask the truth mm. or for, scared to ask a question that they might get a truthful response. And that's, what I think is a beautiful part of thinking about relationships being a revolutionary act. Mm. Say, I have feelings. I want to trust that I can bring my feelings to, to you and that you're going to listen to me and you're going to take the time to sit with me and maybe help me work them out. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it comes to things that might be difficult to navigate or an argument. But the safety aspect of trustful relationships I think is really important. And if you really break it down, I think a lot of people are afraid to really be themselves in intimate relationships because they're afraid that, um, that it's not going to go well mm -hmm. because they can't trust that it's okay to bring something that might Trying to, am, I, am I making any sense You here? are making sense. It's like how to create a space that um, promotes trust, right? And when you're talking about safety, it sounds like emotional safety, the mm -hmm. willingness to be vulnerable and to know that if you come out with what's inside of you, it will be handled with care and respect. Right. right. On both, like in any relationship, right? Parent-child, you know, or romantic partners. Right. 
friends. Yeah. And that's like a, that's a building. That, that's something that needs to be built. And I think about my kids and I think about them getting older and they're, they're jumping right into their teenage years. And how can I create a trusting relationship with them where they feel safe to be able to tell me stuff? Right. So it doesn't get uh, hidden from me in a way that they might find themselves in a situation where they could get hurt. Right. And that's what maybe you were talking about a little bit before, like how, what's the, what's the distinction between privacy and withholding information and where does that intersect with trust and truth? Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, in fact, when we were talking about doing this show um, a couple weeks ago, I think you brought that up, the differentiation between secrecy and privacy, Mm -hmm. which makes a lot of sense because I do feel like we are all entitled to privacy and it feels so different from keeping a secret, right? Like having some private space, like for a couple, the, the private space of the couple itself, like, right? It's like you can have things that are private just within that intimate relationship. But to have a secret between the two of you, especially one that would impact the relationship, it's destructive. Right. Or to have, I mean, I feel like we're all entitled to our own thoughts and feelings. Like anything that happens inside of you, I'm not one of those people who believes that God can see all and God is judging what's inside of you and he will hear your thoughts and, you know, come down hard on you for that. I, I don't tend to believe mm-hmm. that. I just, I tend to believe that there, that's a, that's a free zone, right? Think what mm-hmm. you want, feel what you feel and share what you would like to share. But the, to me, the secrecy has more to do maybe with actions. Yeah. What's inside is reflects on our lives. Right. But it's, it's sort of like, are there actions that you're taking that you keep out of the relationship? Right. And that, and I've been in a relationship where I felt like there were things that were being withheld so as not to disappoint me, but what it ended up doing was just hurting when I found out. And there was a reason why they didn't tell me. And I and when I found out, it was like, "Oh, yes, I can see why you wanted to hide that from me." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh, how long has this been going on for?" Oh, okay. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then... Weary, weary sigh. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, well, yeah. And it's like, where, where, where is the line there? And it's, it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. I don't know. That's so hurtful to think about. Just this, this whole idea of like someone, I guess it's complicated, right? It's hurtful to you and then hurtful even to the person who's holding the secret. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like because that brings in you had mentioned shame earlier. Mm -hmm. It's almost like that's where shame can reside or the sense of I didn't want to disappoint you or I knew you wouldn't like this thing you did or I don't feel like I'm able to stop doing this thing. And if I tell you, maybe I'll have to. But in contrast, let's just say there was a world that we could live in in our relationships where there was no shame where we could be honest and we could just be ourselves and we could share ourselves in our intimate relationships. And if we were struggling with something or something was difficult for us, we could just say it and we weren't afraid to be loved as we are. Yeah. I mean, that's the world I want. I really like, I've I've said it before, I think, and I will say it many times. I think that shame is one of the most 
toxic feelings, right? It's like shame and patriarchy probably go hand in hand. Like Mm -hmm. patriarchy must just feed off of shame. Yeah. Right. Because the more shamed you are, the more you hide. Right. And it just makes matters worse and worse and worse. There's a book that I was reading recently and I can't remember the name or the author's name, but this author was talking about how he likes to help people in therapy transform shame into guilt because he feels that shame is sort of like always underground. It's like hiding in the corner and guilt is feeling bad about something you're taking responsibility for doing. Right. It bring, mm-hmm. It's sort of like shame in the open gets transformed to guilt and guilt we can deal with. Right. Yeah. But it's like got to cross that line. Once you feel guilty, you can then ask for forgiveness. Exactly. But you can't ask for forgiveness if you're stuck in the shame. Yes. Yes. And that's exactly this guy's whole premise. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Yeah. That, that it's like, this is how we can kind of like repair broken relationships that have, that have had shame in them. Right. So it's sort of like, again, it's like coping with conflict or something. I think is what he was talking about. And and I've heard it said to me before, well, I don't need to ask for forgiveness because I just feel this way. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I feel like I'm just, I'm dealing with enough of that in my own self. The idea of having to ask for forgiveness. I don't need forgiveness. I need to get right with myself. And then it takes this kind of like this idea of personal responsibility without any empathy Mm. which is just as hurtful. Right. Right. And I, I like that. I like that, um, that step from shame to guilt. I like that because I would say like, nobody wants to feel guilty. Nobody, like we shouldn't want people to feel guilty, but at the same time, guilt is a real emotion that we have that, you know, we should feel. Well, maybe we could call it remorse. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's like the same, same, very similar, very, Similar idea, but different tone, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're expressing remorse, you're feeling remorseful. That does put you in a state where you can ask for forgiveness or you would want to be forgiven. Right. There's again, it's sort of like an owning up. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I'm a Quaker now, but I did, I did grow up in the church and repentance was like a big word uh-huh. and I, that would always make me crazy this idea of repentance because there were some things that I felt like I had in me that I couldn't change these are just who I am and how can I repent of something that just keeps happening over and over again and it's like a pattern and like it felt so unfair to be asked to repent but then as I got older I felt like okay once is this idea of repentance maybe just once you know better, you do better? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's all it is. Right. Maybe it's I am aware of a pattern that I might have and I can see something that might trigger me to feel a certain way. And because I see that, I can recognize that and I can change my behavior and modify my behavior um, so I don't get stuck in the guilty, shameful loop right i mean isn't that kind of as good as it gets i think so you know for all of us it's like nobody's gonna go from you know none of us can be perfect if we were all perfect the world would be so boring frankly totally and what's perfect anyway yeah i don't even know i don't want to know i like quirkiness i like weirdness i like people having flaws 
I just wish, similar to what you were saying, that we weren't so ashamed of them. It's like if you have your flaw and you own it and you know it and you're not ashamed of it, then we all kind of have, you know, like know that you're not alone. That's all of us. Now, let's take this idea because we're talking about some big issues here and and trust is big and shame is big and guilt is big. These are all like and feeling lied to. These are all really big. Yeah. And honestly, these are all like obviously big things that are so ingrained in our relationships. How how do you feel like we can like take these things and move through them with agency mm-hmm. to create healthier relationships, but also start to dismantle patriarchal norms? Like, I mean, I don't know how many women I've talked to that is just they assume they're being lied to by their partners about this particular issue or this particular issue. Mm-hmm. or that they're not going to get a truthful response about what their partner looks at on the internet or um, is it even their business anyway? Right. And it, there's all these ways that it's just, there's these separations and these divides that are made. Like, what do you see could be ways to start like bridging, bridging honest relations or make bridging people back together to help build beautiful, healthy relationships. Well, I mean, you were saying agency. I mean, I guess there's something about accountability there. Like you were, you were talking, you were saying that about like women that, you know, and it was making me think of another statistic that I read, which is that women tend to trust more or again, following a violation in a relationship. So women are more likely than men are to feel trusting. They kind of go back into that space Right. And again, is that about um, because something got really worked out and healed and now they can trust again? Or is it about their own denial? (laughs) Right. That it's like, oh, no, it won't happen again. I mean, no, of course, he said he would never do it again. So that means he'll never do it again, which is sort of a version of denial. Right. And not wanting to face the truth. So I do think that there's something in that about getting honest with yourself and your partner about like what's really happening Mm-hmm. Right. What about what this just you just made me think about this, and I and I don't we didn't really talk about this before, but what about the just the feeling like men are more often likely to cheat than women are, but also what our culture says about women who do mm. or women who lie and cheat, opposed to men that lie and cheat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of par for the course in some sometimes. Right. Feeling like, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys or men will be men or, um, but just even the social pass that men need to be, you know, like, uh, their hands need to be held a little bit more. Right. So we can forgive them more easily because right. the poor thing, he just couldn't help it. Right. Something like that. Right. Um, oh, and look how sorry he is. Right. Oh, look at him. He's he's actually being emotional and heartfelt and being honest with me now that he's done something right, you know, regrettable. Right. Right. And women and and like um in a different voice by Carol Gilgan, how she talks about how we, um girls are brought up to more relationally and how girls, you know, will want to repair the relationship opposed to boys who are grow up more in a rule-based way like you cheated you're out right 
you know, the same situation could happen and girls could say, all right, how do I repair this? Or how can I forgive? How can we work through this? Mm-hmm. And that's just like you were saying, like that, this is just psychology. So that's interesting. I wonder, I don't know. I wonder what the statistics are on that. How many, it's sort of like if um, in a heterosexual relationship, if a man catches a woman cheating, there's a member of each sex in the relationship, how often, how, how often or how likely would he be to break up with her versus the other way around if she catches him cheating? Like she might be more likely to forgive and he might be more likely to end it because she broke the rules, right? And she might want to repair it because she wants to preserve the connection. I don't know. What I the don't know. We are. should we should look that up. I know. Yeah. It just seems like an in, you're bringing up mm-hmm. a really interesting question there. Yeah. Right. So I want to get back to what you were asking me initially because now I can't even remember. Oh, <laughs> uh, what ways can we start bridging it so to heal uh, yeah, yeah, fr- yeah. to heal from the patriarchal indoctrination? Yeah. Well, honesty. I mean, again, like getting mm-hmm. honest with yourself and getting on your partner being honest with themselves. Like if there are areas that we're you know we're creating atmospheres of distrust. That's not, that's not something that we need, right? It's like, if there's a lot of shame in your relationship on one side or the other, like let's get it out of the closet. You know, I also think communication, you're going to hear this from like every couple's therapist everywhere all over the world, but it is so true to be able to know yourself and to be able to find the words to say what's inside of you to another person, right? And to be willing to kind of slow down enough to hear what another person is telling you or slow down enough to find a way to communicate to someone else, right? It's like we have like we're operating now in this world of like, you know, 20 second sound bites. You know, it's like you're reading material that's like two paragraphs long and then moving on to the next thing. So our attention spans are shrinking and relationships require a lot of attention. They require sitting down and focusing and allowing yourself to feel what you feel and knowing how to share it and knowing how to receive feelings from another person, right? To me, this should be such basic rules of human relating, but I really feel like a lot of it has just been undermined, right? Mm -hmm. You know, social media, the digital age, everything's moving so fast. No one can slow down. You know, there's slow down. There's, you know, a lot of bills to pay and they just get more and more expensive. So you're working around the clock and you have to keep checking your email. Right. And it's mm-hmm. the relationship gets neglected. Yeah. So taking the time yeah. to maintain, slowing it down and taking the time to do the maintenance, taking the time and, and giving it your focus. Mm-hmm. Right. One of my, um, I don't know if you'd call her a mentor, just a woman in my field who I respect a lot, um, Cindy Baumbaker. She's a local couples therapist who's just really incredible. I had her as a guest on my radio show during the pandemic when I was interviewing psychologists. Um, And she talked a lot, like she came on to talk about couples and how couples were doing during the pandemic and ways in which they were struggling. And she was encouraging couples to think of their relationship as this sort of third entity, like a little child. It's like, there's you, there's me, and then there's baby relationship. And she's, she kind of pointed out that if you ignore the baby, it's not going to survive, right? She's like, you, you know, I tell my couples in my practice to think about the relationship as a little toddler in the room. And if you don't feed it, like you've got to pay attention mm-hmm. to it. You've got to manage it. You've got to put some care in both people to make it survive. One person, you know, because they're half the relationship cannot do it alone. Yeah. So... 
I don't know. And being able to communicate about that and being able to know that like, if you can agree on sort of like, I don't want to call them rules, but like ways of being that you want your relationship to be right. So that it's like, Hey, if I start Mm -hmm. to feel this way, I'm going to have to let you know, or I want Mm -hmm. you to let me know. And we're going to like make time. Yeah. And you can slowly work our way out of this idea of this fairy tale relationship that is not sustainable. Right. Right. Because after the butterflies and the exciting parts of relationships, once they start to diminish and you really are with this other person, like what do you do and how do you really connect with them? And I like that. I always thought of it as I have I have me and you have you and you have all of you and I have all of me. You don't complete me. I don't complete you. But I am responsible for this 50 percent of the relationship and you are responsible for the other 50% of the relationship. So when we come together, we have a 100% relationship. Mm. But if I'm only giving you 20% and you're giving me 60% or 50%, you know, as much as you can mm-hmm. give your whole self, like it's not, it's not balanced. It doesn't feel right. And there has to be an agreement with how much is given. Right, right. I mean, agreement seems like such a good word to use. Right. And if you're not in agreement, then then what do you do? And th- I feel like that is a big, that's a big thing because some people really want their partners to bring more to the table and their partners say, I have nothing left to give. And that's what I like. What you're saying is um, just stop and slow down and read the room, <laughs> you know, right. just like, just take the time, schedule it in. Right. And if both partners agree that this is important, then there's ways that you can kind of start to build these systems. You know, you just mm-hmm. decide together. Again, with honesty, if I can be honest with myself and with you, and if you can be honest with yourself mm-hmm. and with me, and we can kind of know that like there are certain kind of ground rules that we want our relationship to follow and we agree you know we agree to what they are and ways that we want to communicate and things that might be going on with one or the other of us that would be important to talk about and then we make space for it right one thing that I I think when when I was in a relationship, when I was obviously being lied to, it was like lying, lying over, over, over again. And it was like, it just felt like an avalanche of like lies that I just, I wasn't able to escape from at Ugh. that point. I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real because the stories just didn't line up oh God, at all. Yeah, it's like crazy making. And it made me just wonder, what is the worst thing that could happen if you were just truthful right now? Because you're already caught in all the lies. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen? And I think that that's a good thing that we need to ask ourselves. Like, when we are tempted to twist the truth or um, when we are in a situation where it's hard to trust, it's like, what's the very worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. And honestly, the worst thing that could happen, at least in the situation that I was in, was there'd be some ego bruising. Mm-hmm. that it would create a vulnerable situation, that it would be intimate. It would be emotionally intimate and vulnerable. That's the worst thing that could happen. Yep. Or that uh, because of that honesty, that yes, I could also get hurt. And having truthful relationships, the strength that it brings yeah. and the healing that it brings 
it's just worth it. I know. It's like where courage comes in. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really yeah. feel like Good the word. I yeah. do. I mean, I feel like the hard conversation is always worth having. Always. And Always. we shy away from it as if it's going to be scary or destructive or make someone feel bad or you might be guilty or you have to face a part of yourself. But it is liberating. Sure is. It is liberating for a woman to come forward in a relationship and say what's missing, what she wants, to use the voice that mm-hmm. she's been socialized not to have. And yeah. it is liberating for a man to feel feel her or for him to come to her with a feeling he's having yeah and i'm just using you know these are just the gender differences that carol gilligan was describing mm-hmm. and you know forgive me i'm sure it's it's way more complicated mm-hmm. than that like mm-hmm. we are not yeah. so binary like this yeah. in any way but yes in right. her generalities like if we look at it that way whatever it is whatever your gender if you can kind of speak up or or be willing to step forward your relationship will thank you. Definitely. And even like, let's say you have something in your heart that you want to express to somebody else and you know that it might hurt them. Mm-hmm. Or there's a reason that you're scared to bring conflict into the relationship. And you don't want to bring conflict into the relationship, but you have to have a talk, but then you hide it and you put it down and you avoid it. Like I, I had a conversation the other day that I had to express to someone that my feelings were hurt. And I didn't want to because I didn't want to tell her that my feelings were hurt. I just wanted to basically deal with it. But I realized for our relationship to continue, I'd have to bring that up. I'd have to say that my feelings were hurt. But being in that situation, I also had to preemptively know what to say to this person, knowing that they might not know what to say and they might feel bad. So I also... Wanted, wanted and did take responsibility to say, I love you and I just want to work through this. And I know this stinks and I don't want my feelings to be hurt and I love you. And the only reason that I'm bringing this up is because I really value you and believe that you are owed the truth. Well, right. And you trust the other person to be able to hear it and you can trust the relationship to withstand it. Right. right? And if the relationship doesn't withstand it, then it's like the probably a sign that there's something else going on that's not it's not able to right because we're all individuals right I'm gonna have my feelings and my reactions that have so much something to do with what you've said that hurts my feelings but also so much to do with where I come from and my own emotional landscape and my sensitivities and my projections that I'm imagining you mean things that maybe you don't and Or it may be that you actually kind of transgressed against me and you did something that you shouldn't have done, Mm -hmm. but, and, but it needs to be talked about. Right. It's just those kinds of repairs, right? Again, like you're saying, it increases intimacy, which is Mm anti-patriarchy intimacy, Mm -hmm. a good one. If you want to oppose the patriarchy, get intimate. It's honest. Also Mm -hmm. anti-patriarchy. It's building a stronger relationship with another person Mm -hmm. and it's creating a relationship where there are two people present. It is not just you did a thing and I'm going to just like subjugate myself or squelch my feelings or hide it away. I'm going to be here as someone who had a reaction to you. Yeah. And we can talk it out. Yeah. And thinking big picture too. And I like it how you're like kind of bringing that into it, like this anti-patriarchy type of way of dealing with conflict. I say this to my kids all the time. It's like fighting amongst ourselves 
is, yes, we need to work it out. Let's sit down and talk about the emotional, you know, dilemma that we have in front of us because we're getting a lot better at it. That is quicker and quicker each time we work through this conflict because we're getting better. But also, like, now more than ever, we need to be united, Mm -hmm. not only as a family, but as, um, as, as bleeding people, people with uteruses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and and now's the time for us to be able to really say, okay, we've got emotional disconnect. We've got hurt feelings here. This is natural. This is part of life. We don't need to be angry at each other. Like, or be angry, have your feelings, but we really need to take the time to like work it out. Work it out. And in real time, not like work it out like, oh, we'll get to that or work it out like, do we have to right now or work it out like, can't we do that later? Because all the laters and laters and laters start to create this big like emotional resentment backlog pile up that's going to just kind of weigh everything down and collapse the table it's put on, right? There was this thing that we used to do uh, where we, if we were having like a big family discussion that was super, super heavy and somebody was just so tired, but they didn't. They, and they didn't know what to say, but they wanted the other person just to know that they loved them. You say fudgy brownie. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the words for it, but you want them to know. It's like fudgy brownie. <laughs> did you come up with that uh, one? Yeah, I, yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then sometimes it was like, I don't want to say fudgy brownie right now. You know, it's like whatever, whatever. <laughs> but like even like in the conflict, letting the other person know that you love them, that really, really helps build the intimacy and just the authenticity and just the true feelings that are there because we'll have disagreements, we'll have arguments. People will get caught in lies. And sometimes there's lies told to people who you really love and you wish you didn't do that just to remind each other that like, you are important and I love you and I don't want to lie to you. Which is why I really like your disagreement with the quote, you cannot love without trusting because you're saying, no, you really can. And like, if you're going to talk to somebody about something that they've did, that's fractured your trust, doing it in the context of like a loving, safe, I'm holding you. I'm keeping you in mind. I see all of you. I know that this is not the entire summation of you, this, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Um, it makes all the difference, you know? And I was just thinking too, it's like patriarchy thrives on rifts, mm-hmm. right? Like like you were describing what you've been talking to your family about. Like the more broken apart we are, the less likely we are to unite and change things. So if I'm like mad at my neighbor, I'm not going to band together with him and fight the system. I'm not going to fight the power. I'm not even mad at him. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what's the po- like? And so if we just keep all the rifts and resentments going, then boy, we just yeah. are going to stay exactly where yeah. we are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note. <sighs> well, it's six o'clock. I, it is. Six, well, I, I have to I, I do want to bring one other thing in there, like something that my dad always says to me. It's like when there's conflict or when things are really heavy, when we just do loving actions pour a cup of coffee in the morning or just do something nice. Like these things also help move through the conflict, even though we might have strong feelings and strong disagreements or feel like something terrible has happened. When we and ourselves 
can hold on to love, even if you can't trust, how am I going to respond in love? And maybe responding in love right now means to make some fudgy brownies. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it does. Maybe it does. I mean, I think <laughs> Teek Not Han said that too. Sounds like your dad. <laughs> I don't know who that is. I'll look oh. It up. oh, yeah. No, we'll talk about okay. him sometime. He was a really famous Buddhist monk who wrote like a bazillion tiny little books that are essentially good guidebooks mm-hmm. to life. But he talks about that, how like he personally would say that he wouldn't want to live in a world without suffering because he feels like that's what brings people together. Yeah. Like it's a common, it's a common thing. And also ways that we can help people through suffering with these kind of acts of kindness, like what your dad was saying. Mm -hmm. That's the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. And we're going to keep continuing these conversations. And it really today felt like a little bit of the nitty gritty of getting into like the actual workings of relationship but that's what we want to do we want to talk more about how to have healthy relationships yep we do and so we'll mm-hmm. get back to it we will be back here next sunday mm-hmm. at five yep on the everyday feminist we're coming to you live on g-town mm-hmm. radio 92.9 fm wggtlp in philadelphia or at gtownradio.com mm-hmm. everywhere else on the globe mm-hmm. like us on instagram the everyday feminist and follow us and If you have any questions, you can email us or uh, direct message us. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. All right. All right. Take care, everyone. See you next time.